literally gonna take two seconds, okay, Hovey? As we're, as we're cleaning. Ugh, what's happening? Come on, sing it. Why are you here? Well, come on, sing it. Young Frankenstein. <laughs> we were singing this uh, made up Young Frankenstein song because, let me paint a picture here. We are in the kitchen. Sarah is stirring in green beans. And why are you doing that? You're ruining both of the, you're She's stirring green beans into a vodka sauce pasta. Well, it's for the leftovers. Well, yeah, we can have leftover green beans and leftover vodka sauce pasta. Yeah, you won't even tell her. Now you're ruining the pasta. You're not even going to eat this, let's be real. <laughs> We're in our kitchen right now. Connected to it is the dining Where's As a woman. A woman. Uh, it is, I actually have done a few, I know I've done a bunch of these with you in here because you're fine. It's if you, yeah, if you're, if you're near the stove, you can't get away from it. You gotta, if you're tending to something here, if you're in the bathroom, you can't get away from the toilet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna corner you and record a podcast. Well, we don't do it when I'm on the toilet. No podcast pooping. That is the rule Sarah said at the very beginning of this year, and I've stuck to it, except for one day, and you got mad. Yeah. Okay. But in all seriousness, <laughs> you say spit it out. Yeah. Okay. It's connected to the kitchen is our dining room. We have a few glasses of wine, the massacre of a pasta dinner spread across the table, Parmesan cheese. We have a candle that is halfway melted. And while we were sitting at dinner, we were watching, <laughs> we were watching, yeah, after dinner, we were watching, a, we pulled up a trailer for American Fiction that we're going to go see next Tuesday. And then this is, by the way, this is what gets me into doom scrolling. What gets me into doom scrolling is that I pull up YouTube and Instagram are my two kryptonites mentally. And I will pull up one of them out of great freaking intention. Oh, I want to find this thing. I want to look up this person. I'm going to send this message, reply to this person. Great. The problem is when I do that, man, those freaking algorithms pull up something really great for me. And then I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll watch this next trailer. And then two hours later I've done shit. But for this one, uh, right after the trailer, it pulled up a clip of Quentin Tarantino talking about perfect movies is what the clip was. And what got me pumped is the past few days on the Daily Guinness episodes, I what's kind of been on my mind lately is this obsession with getting good. Yesterday I talked about, I shared a clip of Steve Martin when Steve Martin has been getting uh, ad- requests for just give me career advice by people. His thing is he said the same thing for years, but it, people are always bummed out by it because it's not what they want to hear. What they want to hear is, here's how to get uh, an agent. Here's how to be successful in Hollywood, whatever. His response is always the same thing. Get good. He says, get so good that they can't ignore you. And I genuinely, if there's one thing I've done right in my life, along with all the, multi, the well, besides marrying you, which time will tell if that was a good decision or not. Don't screw the screw this up, Hopi. I I really did take to that right on. And when I even started doing this podcast, I didn't have any other goals other than I want to be good. I want to get good at this. Bass guitar, I want to get good. Photography, I've got this thing I've got. I want to be good. I'm obsessed about that. The problem though for me is at when I was younger. 
was that I confused what it what does it mean to be good? And I'm as a recovering people pleaser, the people pleasing side of me totally freaking seeped into the artistic side of me. And so that to be good me, meant for me subconsciously, I would have never admitted it, but for me it meant that I needed affirmation. But to be good means other people have to think that you're good. Totally, yeah. I'm always confused if you're gonna like, like ask. <laughs> disagreeing. Oh, okay. So, uh, but you never know when the big one might hit. Yes. <laughs> Which that sentence was a lot more applicable when we were doing the pooping podcasts. But I digress. The uh, so I just I, I it really screwed me up because then what freaking happens if you if I start putting all this weight on. Well, to be good means other people have to like it. So then what happens when like the gigs just aren't coming in? When, when the likes aren't happening on a photo I post? When the numbers aren't there for pot? Like, I, I, start, I would start questioning it. And so I've been thinking about this lately, and I, I just listened to this clip with Quentin Tarantino. And his, the thing in it, I'm going to play this clip right now, but the thing in it that really caught my ears was he said... He's talking about what he considers the perfect movies, and he goes, these movies might not be your cup of tea because they transcend all genres, but you cannot say that they are objectively a bad movie. You, you can't find anything wrong with them, but they may not be your cup of tea. So he says this. You, uh, you said that there are very few perfect movies, and one of them is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. Which surprised me, you know? And what are the other perfect movies? Uh, well, there's not many of them. That's, uh, that just bemoans that the fact that, like, you know, the film art form is hard. Uh, uh, yeah. And look, when you say perfect movies, you're talking about you know any individual person's aesthetic. Yeah. But right. I, but but even trying to account for all aesthetics, even but a perfect movie kind of crosses all aesthetics to one degree or another. Might not be your cup of tea, but there's nothing you can say to bring it down. And uh, I think Jaws fits into that. Mm -hmm. I think The Exorcist mm -hmm. fits into that. I think Annie Hall fits mm -hmm. into that. I think some people could say uh, Young Frankenstein. Fits I would into say that. that. Yeah, 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 I can understand that. I can understand thinking that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I could say The Wild Bunch fits into that. Yeah. All right, and that's not even not a perfect movie. That's not perfect. That its imperfections are part of its glory. Uh -huh. All right, you know. Uh, so let me take The Wild Bunch off. All right, but you know, but uh, 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 no, but that's kind of the point, though. Right. That it's like something that's so unassailable. <laughs> Okay, Sarah's corrected me. Maybe he didn't say transcend genres, whatever he said. But they cross over in different genres that he thinks are perfect. Okay, I've been obsessed with this thought of not my cup of tea. It's given me freedom in two different ways in life. Number one, it's given me freedom to voice my opinion about things, to feel to have a healthy response to other people's creating things, to not be like, this sucks. Like now when I, when I view a piece of art, something that someone has made... I have the side of my mind that goes, is this my cup of tea or not? And there are so many songs that are not my cup of tea, but it is, it's good, objectively good, and I can admit that. But also it helps me to be like, no, no, this isn't my cup of tea, and it's also objectively bad. They miss the mark. These things are not, it's actually not great. And it's freed me up to like own my own opinion. And also the same for myself. It's freed me up, God, this is huge. It's freed me up to acknowledge 
every freaking day, no matter what I'm working on, that this is not everybody's cup of tea. This isn't for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, if it works one way, if it works one way, it has to work the other way, so. Hell yes. Like, this is, yeah, this is essentially what I've heard someone say before, is like just my... Uh, oh, Rick Rubin was talking about it. Rick Rubin was talking to Edward Norton. And at the very end of it, Edward talks about uh, how he and Brad Pitt went to the premiere of Fight Club, I think in like France or so, Italy, wherever, wherever it premiered at. And literally people walked out. Martin Scorsese, I think, walked out because they didn't get it. But I guess they both had smoked some weed beforehand uh both him and brad pitt and they were just laughing the whole time because they were watching it and they go i think this is the best movie we've ever made and none of these people give a shit and yeah they don't get it and they're like and it was they were talking about it's like it's a problem with the labels the record the the or the um the studio shouldn't have premiered it here they should have promoted it like premiered it at a college campus giving away tickets for free like it The movie didn't do well until it came out later and the right people found it. But what was fascinating to me about this is how Edward Norton and Brad Pitt were both just so confident that what they did was good, that they made it for themselves and their friends, essentially, and that they knew that they would get it. I don't know. I'm not even going to wrap this up. I'm going to play right here. I'm going to play this story by Edward Norton telling this. And I think it's fascinating. It gets me freaking pumped right now. And I, I hope wherever you're at, whatever you're, whatever you're working on, whatever you're focusing on, that you are, you find this balance where you are con- like extremely confident in your own voice and giving space for the voices of others while also realizing that what you're doing right now isn't for everybody while also trusting that the right people will find it as you put it out into the universe. When we were working on Fight Club, it's, it's very reverent. We were laughing our asses off. It was very, there's no question in my mind that sitting in the room yeah. was the awareness that this is for us and our friends our parents will not understand this. Yeah. They won't, they probably won't like it. Yes. They won't relate to it. Yes. They won't it's get ours. the lingua franca of it. This is ours. Yes. And we better go for it. It's the best feeling. We better go for it. Yeah. Because we've got in our hands the vehicle to remember what it felt like to be in a certain place at a certain time for a certain group of people. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that, was, that was an interesting experience too because it was one of my first experiences of feeling that sensation that strongly. Mm-hmm. And then the, the commodification, it didn't go well at all. You know what I mean? Like that movie was a, like a flop in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And Fincher was, I think, felt very bruised. And I remember we showed it in uh, uh, the Venice Film Festival and Brad came up to me right before we walked into the big red carpet stupidity and all that stuff. He said, how do you think this is going to go? And I said, I don't think it's going to go well. And he said, he said, me neither. Let's get high. Right. And he, of course, because he came in on a private plane, he had like a joint, like the size of a, of a large cucumber. And he's a pothead. I wasn't, we smoked this joint, walk into the Venice thing. I like felt like someone was carrying me by my ears, three feet off the ground, 
the whole time. But it was great because we, I sat, he and I watched it. My, my recollection is that we saw Scorsese walk out, which was also kind of like perfect. Like, you know, it's like, and then it was booed. Yeah. Right. It got booed. Right. Uh. And it was, there were boos and we were in the last row in the back and Brad turned and looked at me and goes, that's the best movie we're ever going to be in. And I said, me too. And we were like hugging wow, each other. How cool is that? Yeah. It was like, it was like he, we were teary eyed. That's real. And he, and he, he said, that's the best movie we're ever going to be in. Unbelievable. And, um, and while people were booing. Yeah. And, and, and he meant and it. Was it. Funny it wasn't a joke. Now I, I want to be careful. Like I, I, maybe it's, maybe I was stoned and I don't, I think my recollection is that Scorsese walked out of it because I also think I remember that hitting Fincher in a way, but this is all a little hazy, to be honest, or very hazy. But there's, but I hope in a weird way that I am remembering that right because Fincher had a thing on the office wall when we were rehearsing and it, it said like on the path to enlightenment, you, you have to kill God, kill your parents and then kill your teacher, right? And I remember thinking like, Scorsese, if Scorsese walked out, we did it. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> like, we, like we killed our teacher, you know, like fuck the critics. But if we feel good, even if our hero walked out, then we're in good place. That's an incredible story. <laughs> Thank you for telling me that story. I love that. Yes, yeah, it's it funny. And then, it, you know, then, but then it was to your point. It's like, it finds its way. Yeah. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can't, you know, and, and in a weird way, like with that one, what could be more true to everything it's trying to say yeah. for it not to do well Yes. and then be something you'd never trade. Like you'd never trade what that one, how that one went into everyone in our friends that we made it for it. You'd never trade it for, you wouldn't trade it for a billion dollars. No. It'd be a sign of defeat if it was, but to know it in the moment, when, while the people are booing, yeah. to hug each other and know <laughs> this is great. That's really bold. I love it. Yeah. It was, yeah. There's something too where you just like, you know, like when you're showing, they should have never shown that movie in Italy with subtitles. It's like that should have, you know, yeah. they shouldn't have showed, they should have showed that. I don't even know what. It should have been at like, it should have been in a college auditorium you know, yeah. with free tickets for everybody. Like, yeah. no pretension, no, yeah. no nothing. Rob Morgan is an internationally touring bassist on a journey to discover what it means to live a curious life. At thecuriouspod.com, you'll find an archive of conversations reported all over the world, a map of recording locations, a weekly newsletter, and official podcast merchandise. Rob is recording a daily podcast where he's sharing insights into the creative journey and the secrets to living a curious life that he's discovered from over a decade of traveling the world with music. We here at Curious Endeavors have told him this is probably a mistake and he's an idiot to attempt it, but he won't budge, so that's where we're currently at. We hope you'll enjoy. <laughs>